Last name first, first name last. Anderson. Les Anderson. Buckle up, son. It's the real world out here. Anderson, I want you to take a long, hard look at this cup of coffee. Now, I love my coffee. It's probably the one thing I truly do cherish on this godforsaken mud ball called Earth. Now, what I'm trying to say is that most examiners use a clipboard. I don't believe in them. What I do believe in is my cup of coffee. Now, that coffee's hot, filled right to the brim. If it's spilled on me, probably burn me, huh? Speak up, son. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes to get burned, do they? No. So it's real simple. You burn me, you fail. You don't, you pass. It's as simple as that. That was a clip from one of my favorite high school movies as a kid, Licensed to Drive with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. And in this episode, we're talking about the difference between being a driving instructor and being a chauffeur as a, a youth worker, as a youth pastor, as a youth leader. And today, that's going to play in because we're talking about the number one cultural trait that will grow your ministry numerically. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Welcome to the Thought Factory Podcast. I am so grateful that you have joined us. I am also grateful that Jeff has joined us in the studio. Yeah. You did not join us one week, uh, a couple weeks ago, but it's we're back and all things are good. That's right. Yeah, it was a little quarantine situation. I didn't get sick, but just one of those deals, something we're living through right now. Precaution. Yep. But uh, yeah, really good to be here, Jay. And this this series is exciting to me because we get into some really nitty gritty practical things about local church youth ministry, which is where our hearts are. And I've been in this world for about 30 years. You've been into it for at least 15 or so now, right? Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. I'm, oh boy. 15, maybe 16, maybe 18. Let's see. What number would I land on if I did the you, math? You'd kind of be. I mean, I, I was your intern. The year I graduated in 2004 from college. Yep. So 16. Yeah, about 16. 15 if I didn't pay attention that first year. You probably didn't. Yeah, probably not. We got some good stories from those days. And uh, so, you know, here we are. And what an amazing time that we live in. The harvest field is ripe. I always go back to Matthew 9. There's so much opportunity. And in the midst of all this craziness that is going on as we're recording this, I just want to remind you today that what we're talking about in these episodes, um, you might be going through a real discouraging time or a time where it's just really tough or everything that you've done has been disrupted. And this is a great time to learn, to evaluate, to process. So these episodes will be great for you because they're ones that we're going to talk about some principles, but but also like very practical steps and things that you can take. And today, how to grow your ministry numerically, it's it's a pretty cool thing to talk about. And so the last episode, we talked about the number one way that you can build a winning culture. And we talked about how important winning cultures are. 
And these are episodes, Jason, we're, we're encouraging our listeners to, if they're leading a team or they're part of a youth ministry team, share these episodes with your team because they can be great, um, not just moments of learning, but interaction and and sharing of ideas. I know in the last episode, there was some focus on external factors, but really it boils down to you. You have the opportunity to change and create a winning culture. And so what are your unshakable convictions about that culture that you need to develop? So I I would encourage anybody to look back, listen to that episode, join us for the next few weeks in upcoming episodes, because we are talking through a series of talks that Jeff has presented in this past year to our network around and wanting to provide it to our audience here. But it's really a series of talks that kind of go from one to the next to the next. They can be listened to individually, but we reference past episodes or one concept might bleed into another episode. So these are these are five to seven minute talks I gave to our our camp network of leaders for this summer and we're just diving a little bit deeper into these and next episode we're going to talk about the number one cultural trait that will grow your ministry spiritually if you want spiritual depth and growth in your students that's what we're going to get into next one more quick thing before we dive deep into this one about growing your ministry numerically and that's a free resource we have for you if you've never gotten this you want to check this out it's our adolescence in the church trend report for the year 2020 and 2021 you can download that for free, Jason. Tell them where they can get that. They can find that trend report at neverthesame.org slash trend report. You can get your free trend report when you go to neverthesame.org slash trend report. That's about 20 pages or so, and it's beautifully laid out. It's got some great stats directly from students themselves from all of the country. If you want to get a good feel of what your students are thinking and how they're behaving, their beliefs and behavior, this will give you an inside look on um, where your students are in your ministry. So never the same dog slash trend report. All right, let's get into this episode. We're talking about the number one cultural trait that will grow your ministry numerically. Numbers sometimes ago, we shouldn't focus on numbers. Listen, numbers aren't bad and they're not good, but they are a measurement. And I think it's good to want to grow and to see more students reach. And so today what we're going to do in this episode is show you very practically how to do that by one cultural trait that you can change in your ministry. I want you to think about, do you remember the first time that you drove a car, especially by yourself, but the first time you drove a car, you remember how you felt? You probably were a little scared, you were nervous, you may have been really excited, You may have been kind of apprehensive and anxious about what was happening around you, but go back to those moments for a minute and think about how exhilarating it was to know that you could just take off for the first time by yourself. No parent. What was your first car? First car was a 1975 Buick LeSabre with green plush interior and an eight-track player. A LeSabre? Yeah. I think my wife drove a LeSabre. It was huge. Big as my house. Yeah. Two-door. Mine was a Mercury Topaz. Wow. Also known as the Ford Tempo. Yes. We yeah. had the Mercury. That was the car that I drove. That was the upgrade. Mercury was like supposed to be a little bit better than Ford. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say we were an upgraded type of family. What year was it? It was 
It was. Um, you gotta know the year your first car. Oh, Come on. I don't. I know what color. Does that suit? It was white. It was white. Yep. No adult. No big brother, sister with you. You could just take off, and you were free to go wherever you want. It was an amazing feeling. Now, I want you to remember that. Because what I want to talk about today is the number one cultural trait to grow your ministry numerically. Now, if you remember, culture is greater than leadership because the culture that you create will impact lives more than the things that you say or do. And a culture is the environment created by the beliefs and the behaviors of a community or your ministry. So Think about the culture that's being created because of the beliefs and the behaviors that you have in your ministry. Now, I want to tell you, when we're talking about numerical growth, I can tell you this. I've seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of youth ministries and youth groups over my 30 years of being involved in student ministry. And every youth ministry that has what I would call, quote unquote, life in it has one thing in common. Uh, Pizza from the best local pizzeria Think that would but be. you're just dying to know the answer to this. What are they all? I'm trying to guess. Have in common? What's? Uh, they all uh, charge a cover charge to get in. Yeah. You know, some some people might go. Well, the one thing they have in common is like really good facilities, or, um, you know, good couches as opposed to like the leftovers, or they're not in the basement. Of the church, or they are in the basement. Central heating and cooling. Or they have like a full-time youth pastor. There's lots of things, but none of those are the answers. Uh, youth included. pastor with tattoos? Nope. Oh. Piercings? Nope. Oh. So it's not the pizza. It's not the pizza. But they all serve pizza. No. All of them. No. 100%. No. That would be a common trait. I've, I've been all over the country and even around the world and seen different gatherings of students and ministries and things. And they all, it's amazing. It's this universal truth that I've seen. And that here's the one thing they have in common. They are all student-led. Now, there's a difference here between being student-led and adult-driven. And if there's one cultural trait that you want in your ministry, if you want to reach and grow numerically and reach more students, which I'm assuming all, if not most of you do, then you want to be what I would call a student-led movement and ministry. Because if it's student-led, then you're going to find more life and vibrancy. And I can tell you, I can walk into a ministry and in 30 seconds, I can tell you whether it's student-led or adult-driven. Surprising? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> uh, you know, of all the youth ministers I've seen, Jason, we've talked about this before. We've traveled around. We see a lot of things, and a lot of people. And you can walk into the room, and you can tell if students are involved and engaged. And unfortunately, more and more, that that's one, been one of the fallouts of, like, quote-unquote professional youth ministry as as you know a movement is when when more people were hired to do this over the last few decades you know before in general most churches you know i'm talking about up into the 60s and 70s as a general rule there weren't a lot of full-time or paid youth workers youth pastors and then that became a thing and one of the things that changed was adults began to do more 
and students began to do less. When I say do less, I mean planning. They're involved up front. They're leading things, even teaching, worship leading, planning retreats, you know, involved up front and behind the scenes in every aspect of the ministry. And so ministries that are more adult-led, adult-driven, their students just aren't as engaged. And, I'm, and I think even the last 10 years, way less engaged uh, than they were 10 years ago in these type of ministries. When I think about the years that I've, I led in a church for a youth ministry, when I brought students in for the programming, not only just on stage, but also into the thought process, the brainstorming, the conceptualization, all that stuff, not necessarily to execute everything, but to develop some of the, these ideas and what's going to happen in the programming. Uh, it, it felt more vibrant, even though it may not have always been student-led as well. So one of the things that we did every Tuesday afternoon, and Jason, I think you were part of these I meetings was. for a while. Every Tuesday afternoon, we'd have a group of students over at our house They'd come over and... Your wife made brownies. That's right. I was just going to say my wife made those brownies. I think that were from Aldi's super Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't, but they were good. It was, like a, it was like a deal every Tuesday. And then milk. Yep. And so we sat around our dining room table every week and we had brownies and we spent about an hour and a half, maybe two hours with a group of about eight to 10 students. And yeah, we would programmatically... Um, plan things and conceptualize things and and just from even that group of students the impact that it had because they were part of it they got their friends involved too which is cool i agree it was good good brownies and think of it this way let's go back to driving for a minute when you're in the car with students and you're driving how engaged are they in that process especially now with smartphones typically they don't know what direction they're going what's going on um, anything like that. But if they're driving, now think about the difference if you're in the passenger seat and they're driving, how engaged are they? Well, obviously they have to be engaged because they're the ones driving the car. Now, I'd often talk about youth ministry and being adult leaders in the context of being like a driving instructor. The whole point of driving school is so that students can learn how to drive, right? It's not so that we can just go in and drive and tell them how to do it, but it's for them to get in the driver's seat, for us to sit there. And what I've said for years is this, that student-led ministry means I'm like a driving instructor as an adult, and I sit in the front passenger seat. Now, in my driving school, we had a break on the passenger side that the driving instructor could use. And in fact, I remember he used it on me once when I was driving. Do you remember that? I do. You want to know the background of that one? Yeah, I do. When he used it, we were, I was driving on this road and we were coming up on the crest of a hill and he told me to turn left right before the crest of this hill. And I knew if there was a car coming over that hill, I needed to make this turn quickly and, and pull into this. It was a church, I think. It was a parking lot mm-hmm. on the left. So I had to cross over into the other lane, but I couldn't see over the hill from where we were turning. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do this quickly. And so I just turned really quick so that, you know, if there was a car coming, we wouldn't get T-boned. And uh, he hit the brake as we were going in. He's like, hey, you can't take turns that fast. And I explained it. 
actually said, you know what? That's actually really smart. So he used the break, but I got brownie points. The same Speaking brownie of brownies from Aldi's. Yeah. Okay. I had one experience where I was driving as you do when you're a student in driving school. Um, and I was supposed to change lanes from the right lane to the left lane. And I didn't look over my shoulder and I was about to just Whoa. go right over. I'm like, why would the instructor ask me to change lanes if he didn't know it was clear? Well, he was setting me up. He was asking uh, me to change lanes so that I could properly look through my blind spots and all that stuff. And I started changing lanes and he hit the brake and we came to a slow stop and he kind of made the wheel turn so that we stayed in the lane. And he's like, did you even see that car? And it, they just drove right by. And I was wow. like, no, I did not. But why did you ask me to go into that lane if you knew the car was there? But he was trying to make a point. Yes. I, I didn't fail, but I definitely got docked. Wow. Hmm. I think we were driving a Topaz. And that was, if things got crazy, they could just hit the brake and we were all safe. And that's what I would consider our role is ultimately in student ministry is we're like a driving school. We're helping them know and learn what it means to lead because here's the reality. Students support what students create. It's one of the reasons why we have the talent show at NTS. At NTS camp, we have a talent show. Now for years at NTS camp, we would bring in professionals and we'd bring in illusionists and people that would perform music and different things. And the students were there and it was okay. But when students were on stage, and if you've been to NGS camp, you know what I'm talking about. Students are so much more engaged. And that is the perfect picture of being student-led versus adult-driven. So our students helping you make decisions about ministry, our students up front. Now, there may be way more talent with the adults. Your adults might be great worship leaders, great musicians, great speakers, great at doing the announcements, great at editing the videos, all those things. But let me just say that if you're going for talent, you're going to lose students. But if they're involved, if they're creating it, and not just that, but if they're actually participating and leading it, I'm talking about pretty much about every facet you can get a student involved in to let them do it. Are you training up speakers and teachers? Are you training up musicians and worship leaders? Are you training up tech students? Are you training up your hospitality teams? All these different areas, not just the upfront people, but the behind the scenes, the organizers, the, the ones that don't want the spotlight, but can be involved. There's room for everybody to get involved. The thought that came to mind was, what about the other 90, 95% of the students when you only have a few spots to fill? It, you know, if you have a few spots on the worship team and, and the tech team or prepping the game or on the brainstorm team or the hospitality or first impressions or whatever you want to call it, welcoming team, and, and yet you still have people kind of observing and sitting and what about the 90% that may not be involved or engaged or well let's talk about the numbers for a minute so you guys on our team for camp you did a stat a few years ago about how many students that come to NTS camp actually end up participating on stage I think it's like 22% I believe so about one out of five students are involved we calculated it based on all 
all aspects of the program uh, throughout the week, everything that we do, how involved the students were in the program. And that was just basically in NTS camp where they're not involved on a you know weekly basis, obviously, because it's an annual event. They, they just show up, and these were just any kind of stage participation. So I think that's a, a good percentage to think about if you're if you're running uh you know a significant amount of students enough to where you have some kind of a big room experience i think that's a good gauge right there and then also some numbers jason in our in when i led as youth pastor i would say i had between 30 and 40 percent of students in the room engaged in some kind of formal or informal leadership so I, you know, like you mentioned, I had greeters. I had like kind of sometimes I'd have like section leaders where, hey, I want you to sit in the section, make sure you connect. We had snack bar. We had tech. We had completely student-led worship band, um, you know, assistant small group leaders that were students and on and on. So there's, I think, um, sometimes you may think, yeah, it's a small percentage, maybe 10%, but if you can get 10 to 20%, involved in some kind of game or activity or even during the teaching getting them up and having some people you know I stand up here and you're going to be this person or whatever you know role playing and then games and then all the other stuff you can get a really and and I just want to speak to that like the higher the percentage the better off you're going to be because they're going to be more involved and they're going to be like hey I'm going to bring a friend with me too because they're excited about what's going on rather than just showing up and being kind of spoon-fed everything. And that kind of goes into some of the concepts that we integrate for NTS camp where it's not observational, where, hey, we're going to do something on stage for you to observe, but instead it's participation where we're going to try to do something that you're participating in, even if you are in the crowd. However, small or large that participation is if we can get them to participate then we know it increases their engagement which when you are engaged you are are more willing to go down the road with that that program so if we want them to be engaged through certain aspects by the end we want to engage them in the beginning and if we can get them to participate engage somehow emotionally if they're if they're all doing something at the same time they're going to increase their that engagement which then when we go to the next element or we move to the next thing they are more willing to go with us in hopes that by the end that we can impact them through the truth of god's word and the gospel and all of that stuff and so are we creating something that students just observe on stage in your program in your youth ministry where they just show up and observe and and yeah you can say well we play games um, but is, is, are they participating in it or are they just observing the game a good chunk of them? Or is there a, a greater percentage that are, are participating in it? And let me speak to the trap that bigger ministries can fall into here because bigger ministries a lot of times hide behind their numbers. What I mean by that is, oh, we've got several hundred students that go to our youth group and that's awesome. I mean, I'm not going to take that away from anybody because that's amazing. But what I would say is a lot of times, let's say, imagine, you know, it's a church of 5,000 people. And the general rule of thumb is your youth group attendance, kind of a, you know, a, a baseline is around 10% of your 
attendance on a weekend. So if you've got 5,000 people, you should have about 500 students involved in youth group generally as a baseline. But what happens sometimes is, you know, a church might have 5,000 in attendance and then they may have 200 in their youth group and they're like, our youth group's amazing, we've got 200. And I would almost guarantee um, that that's an adult driven ministry because they're not even hitting their 10%. So they can hide behind that and go, yeah, we've got hundreds of students showing up, but like if it were to be a lot less slick and polished, which that's generally, I mean, this is a stereotype, but it's pretty, pretty on here that the bigger the church, the more slick and the more polished and the more produced everything is. That's kind of a culture that's created in bigger ministries and churches. Cause I've been on staff in those churches and So when that happens, well, you know, the students aren't quite up to snuff on the instruments, so we're going to have the adults play. And the students really aren't really good at giving the message as the youth pastor is, so we're going to do that. Um, And, you know, the students, you know, go on and on. So all of a sudden it becomes an adult-led production, and you're not even hitting your 10%, but you can pat yourself on the back because you've got 300 or 400 students when in reality, if it was student-led in that church of 5,000, you might have 1,000 showing up. And now you're really talking, you know, where things are, are, are grooving because you've got students involved. So if you're a bigger ministry, don't hide behind your numbers sometimes and think, oh, well, we're doing good because we've got this many kids. But you know, obviously it's a big world and you, you know, 10% to me is like a minimum. If you're not hitting 10, there's something wrong already. And so you should be more than that. So that that's another thing that happens. My thought goes back to our last episode where we talked about the developing that culture and having that unshakable conviction. And you may be listening to this and go, yeah, I want more numbers. I want more students and maybe hide behind the more students means more uh, students reacting to the gospel and and all that stuff, but we may also think it increases our ego or just shows success or anything like that. But if you don't have a conviction for having students lead, or if you're willing to go through that time period of, of shifting culture to go through students that really don't know how to play an instrument very well or lead a game very clearly and concisely, if you're not willing to go through some of the harder times when they're struggling through it, then you're going to give up on it and just say, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to produce the videos. I'm just going to find somebody that knows how to do it much better. But if you have a conviction for student led ministry, you're going to go through those periods of time that may feel and just, you're just uh, like, irks at your soul because you're just like, Oh, that's so bad, but they're leading because in the last episode, you mentioned three years of allowing a culture to shift. And if you are teaching students how to lead, you're eventually you're going to have it running in a pretty smooth way where students are drawn to that, drawn to being on stage or drawn to student leadership or drawn to learning about the technology that needs to be used to run the the ministry and you're going to have a smoother ride. But if, if you're just looking to increase your numbers for the numbers sake, you're not going to have that conviction to get students involved. Good point. And, and here's what I want you to remember about being student led is that if you want more students, 
then learn to be a driving instructor and not a chauffeur. And and that that thought, it, to me, is is the perfect picture of what this looks like. So as you're listening to this, you've you've got two options here. One is you're a chauffeur. You you throw your students in the back of the car and you go, hey, we're going. I'm driving. Just roll and, with me here. And they have no idea how you got there necessarily, what roads you're taking. That's right. They're doing their own thing in the back. That's right. Or you can be a driving instructor. And raising my kids, whenever we get in the car, they might go, okay, what direction are we going? What road are we on? And, uh, you know, we've been on this road hundreds of times and they didn't know what road we're on until I started asking them and then they started paying attention. And I started telling them, hey, if, if you're in a car, what, how, how can you tell what direction you're going without just by your senses, just by looking around and observing things? Licking your thumb and sticking out the window? Yep. Okay. Yep. And that you're moving forward if you've... Yep, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and, you know, I think sometimes it's easier, like you just said, Jason, to just do it yourself. Man, it's a lot of work to get other people involved. And I've felt the same, and we all have. You go, eh... Man, getting some, showing someone else and taking the time to do that takes longer than it would just to do it myself, and it's not going to be as good. And you're probably right in both instances, but what is the difference when students are engaged and they are actually driving that car and you're helping them? And I will tell you the longevity of their faith experience impacting their life. In my experience of 30 years, in local youth ministry, it's it's exponential. When they are leading, their faith sticks with them way more over the long term. I've seen that over and over and over, as opposed to just the students that show up and just are there and they're not really involved or engaged or they're getting a chance to use their gifts or lead. So it it's, it's a win-win in so many ways. And even as a driving instructor, you still have access to that break. That's right. So that means you aren't just giving them the freedom to do whatever they want in the ministry and whatever idea comes to mind, by all means, go for it. It means you can still pump the brakes and say, hey, that's not what we're about or, hey, this is not the direction we're going or, hey, let's just kind of stay on this this lane and go this way um, because you are the leader ultimately, but you know, giving them the freedom to steer and to accelerate and and make those decisions are key. So as, as just a, a practical follow-up step here, as you evaluate whatever youth ministry you're a part of, I wonder over the next few weeks as we finish up here 2020 as we record this going into a new year, could you sit down and evaluate your ministry and go, what percentage of students do we have involved? What's the number? And that number will help reveal whether you're uh, adult-driven or student-led, whether you guys as leaders are chauffeurs or you're driving instructors. And look at those numbers and then do an evaluation of your ministry and say, what can we start handing over? Because Jason, like you said, some people go, well, I'm going to give it all away but teaching, either because I like it or I'm afraid of what might be said. But listen, over the years, I can tell you how many times I've had to maybe publicly uh, or discreetly, maybe sometimes correct some of the things that were said or taught and without embarrassing or humiliating anybody. But but um, there are ways you can do that. There are ways you can hand it over and it will bring life to the ministry that you lead. 
The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.